That was awesome. I, uh, my mother has been in heaven for eight years, and she is a gigantic Elvis fan. And so if I'm right about the great cloud of witnesses and that she is watching over, I promise you today that she was standing ovation in that in heaven today. But um, thank you for being here this morning. My name is Darren. Hi, TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're a visitor, we're so grateful that you're here. There are a lot of great churches doing a lot of great stuff in this community. So the fact that you'd come hang out with us, it means a lot, and we love it, and we're thankful for it. If you've been around a little while, maybe you've been kicking the tires and think I'd like to maybe take it for a test drive, maybe learn a little bit more about the church, there's a visitor card in front of you, a connect card in the seat back in front of you, or maybe one over, depending on how first service went. If you would, fill that out. Uh, we, have a, we have a lovely gift for you. You can meet us in the back and hand that card to my wife. Actually, I'll be there as well towards the end of the service, so you can... Hand that in. We'd love to get to know you more and maybe let you become more part of knowing, like through the Discover Conduit classes that are uh, coming up. Actually, one is going on in the basement right now. So if, uh, if you don't know who Joe Beam is, you're about to... Uh, the first service was amazing. And we don't say that about first service very often, but first service <laughs> was amazing. <laughs> I mean, seriously, they got to wake me up about halfway through my sermon. But by second service, we're usually juicing. But he was on fire this morning. But Joe is somebody that I've known uh, just for a, a short while. I've, uh, I, we met over the phone, and we've had lunch together. And, and what Joe is doing for the kingdom of God in our country, I think, is probably one of the greatest uh, assets that you've never heard of. Um, in the beginning, in the garden, there was a man and a woman, and they were married, and the family was born. That was before there were governments. That was before there was a church. It was a family. And it was family, the picture of a, a father and a mother, a husband and a wife that God would choose as his picture for us. So, of course, our culture would, would, would war against that, would want to break those families down, because when he does so, he breaks apart the very DNA the very picture. I don't know if you know this, but your marriage is a picture of Jesus to your children. It's a picture of that relationship. And so what Joe does, you know, every war, the best thing a general can deploy is the secret weapon. And I believe that Joe is a secret weapon for the kingdom of God to take back what the enemy is wanting to steal. And so whether you're, you know, if you're single, you're going to learn things today that you can utilize one day. If you are married and your marriage seems to be fine, just think of this as a chance to change the transmission fluid in your car before it blows. If, if you're here today and man, we're in trouble, I want you to hear me say this. You're not alone. And what Joe does here, we're only going to get like a flyover today in 30 minutes. But Joe has these weekends, these intensive weekends, where you'll go through this journey with him over a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday. And we've sent couples to Joe that I thought there was no hope. And they came out the other side and more in love and more because what Joe does is so beautiful. And if you want to today, he's going to be in the back when we're done. And he has uh, books, uh, DVD workbooks, those things. You can certainly, and I would encourage you to take those with you today when you go. But as you're listening today, I want you to think about, hey, do I need to take a book with me? Am I doing a tune-up? Or, man, I, this is, you know, Jesus might be, a throne, he might be throwing your lifeline to you right now in the form of Joe Beam. 
And one day I do believe that we'll, we were in the middle of this series on heaven, and I believe that one of the things that people do after a war is they sit around and they tell stories and they sing songs and remember the, the, the battles that were won. And I believe that one of the songs that we will sing around the campfires of heaven is the battle song of Joe and Alice Beam and the victories that they've scored for marriages on this side of heaven. Would you make Joe Beam welcome this morning? Love is the feeling you feel when you feel you're feeling a feeling you never felt before. The first time I heard that, I was 18 years old. It was said by a professor at Augusta State University. I thought it profound. Love is the feeling you feel when you feel you're feeling a feeling you never felt before. After contemplation, I realized that can't be exactly right because that would mean that some people get married when actually what they really needed was a Rolaise. Don't you think? You get all these emotions and, and think, that's love? Not necessarily. My PhD is in the social sciences, and so we study love in every way you can pot potentially or possibly imagine. It's like, what is love really? And when you start looking at all the research about it, the way to look at it, actually there's three different components of a love that's between two human beings that we might call romantic love, for example. Two, three components, and the way they combine actually gives us at least eight different kinds of love. But what I'm going to do is not talk about that per se, but to explain love in a way that I can hopefully explain in about a half hour. And I'm going to do it by starting with a psalm, Psalm 63, beginning in verse 1. If you've got your Bible with you, or your iPad, or your iPhone, or your Android, Psalm 63, beginning in verse 1. This is a psalm that's really fascinating just to talk about the back study. I mean, what happened, the back story, I'm sorry, what happened before this is fascinating, but I just want to talk about this psalm now in the context of love. It's, it's David writing a love song to God. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you to the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, can you deny that that's a love song? I mean, when you look at that, he's talking about how much love he has for God. As a matter of fact, several years ago, this actually happened. We were looking at that, and a guy said to me, he said, that makes me uncomfortable. And I said, why is that? He said, because it's like this guy's actually in love with God. And yeah, he is. You've probably heard people talk about, well, I love you, but I'm not in love with you, that kind of thing. This guy's in love with God, and he's telling us the kind of thing that goes with that. Now, it, may I explain just a little bit of theology here? Okay. You understand that in the Old Testament, back in the days of David, people typically thought of themselves as the outer person and the inner person. In other words, the outer is the part that you see. This is it. The inner person is who I really am. It's the person inside of me that you may not know anything about at all. Now, David was very familiar with that concept. 
because of the fact that back when he was a boy and the prophet came looking for the king and thought that one of David's brothers must surely be the guy, God said, no, you just see the outside. I see the inside. That's the guy I want to be king. And so the inner man was who I really am, what I think, what I feel, how I act, all those kinds of things. The outer is just what you see, which may not, which may not be an accurate representation of me. Now, in the New Testament, it gets a little bit more specific. And we talk about things there a little bit more detail. For example, uh, we are triune beings. What that means is that we can think of ourselves as having three components. There's the body, that's the Greek word soma, and, and that's the part that other people see. And this actually is part of my identity. I mean, when I was a young man and read my Bible, I thought, well, this is just something I happen to use while I'm here. And then after I die, it's going to be all over and it's no big deal. But if you read your Bible carefully, not only is our bodies important to us here, but in death, we actually long for another body. And come resurrection day, we get a new body. You guys have seen that in your Bible, right? How different the new body is going to be than this body, for which I think anybody would be better than this body. <laughs> And it talks about all the wonderful things about it. I've already put my order in, by the way. Dear God, I want my new body to look like Robert Redford 40 years ago. <laughs> before the Sharpay period. So if you look at this, you say, so a body is part of what I am. Yes, it actually is. But then in the inner part of us, we tend to think about it like this. Well, then there's the mind and there's the soul or spirit, if you will. And the spirit is the part of me made in the image of God that will exist forever and still lives when the body is dead. Such as Darren was talking about earlier, like my, the great cloud of witnesses, that's out of Hebrews 12, talking about how, and I think he's right, that the dead do know what's going on. They really do know what's going on down here. And that his mother would be standing because, why wouldn't she? That song is an awesome worship song. <laughs> would you not agree the words of that are just beautiful worship? When no one understands me, when everything I do is wrong, you give me hope and consolation. Often I'll hear a song like that. Now, that song came out of the era when they still had good songs. <laughs> you know, for a guy like me. I actually lost most of my hearing back in the 1960s, and people say, how? I, I don't remember. <laughs> On the way home, when the teens ask about that, say, I don't know what he meant by that. I had no idea. But songs like that, I mean, they are great worship songs. Think about it, like, your love is lifting me higher. Remember that song you've heard on the radio? What a praise song to God. Or even Carol King, this one line out of that one song where she said, when my soul was in the lost and found. You came to claim it. Amen. Every time I hear that, I think, hey, that's a song I want to sing to you. He said, why didn't they have you sing? If you heard, you would know. <laughs> Not the gift that God gave me, but I'm glad I gave it to Jeremy and to these folks that were singing up here. And, and so here we are saying, okay, there's a part of me that's a spirit. It's made in the image of God. It longs for God. But there's also a part of me that's the mind. And actually, rather than just being triune, we can say that there's four parts of us. You said, well, you started with two and you've already gotten to four? Yeah, but that's as far as I'm going. So what do you mean? Well, there's the body, the soma. But there's also, and we're going to take the mind now and divide it in two because there's a difference in the intellect and the emotions. Would you agree? Anybody ever had those two in conflict? Your emotions with your intellect? Which, who won? Anybody ever been on a diet? And your intellect says you shouldn't eat that. 
But hey, if it's popcorn with butter at the movie theater, it's not food, it's entertainment. <laughs> Anybody here have uh, any kind of phobia by any chance? An intense and unrealistic fear, any phobics? I have ophidiophobia. Ophidiophobia is the intense and unrealistic fear of snakes. They just terrify me. I mean, I can't even look at a picture of a snake in a book. I have to flip the page. Years ago, one of my daughters was getting this magazine about animals, and I opened the mailbox one day, and there was a, a rattlesnake's picture on the front cover, poised to strike. I threw it and yelled, snake! <laughs> Got my hoe and killed it. I was speaking in Daytona one time, and I actually mentioned that, and so the youth minister, now not all youth ministers are bad, just most, the youth minister, it's a joke, I admire youth ministers, the youth minister heard that I had ophidiophobia, and at the end of the service, he ran back to his office, to his terrarium, reached in and picked up a green snake, came heading back across the sanctuary, holding this snake. I saw him when he was about 20 feet away, and I said, stop right there. He thought it was funny and kept coming. I said, I'm serious. Stop. He took another step and I said, if you come any closer, two things are going to die. <laughs> the first is that snake. The second is you. He said, you're a Christian. You, you're not supposed to kill me. I said, you're right. I'll feel bad about it. Then I'll repent. I'll still go to heaven and you'll still be dead. <laughs> And so we divide the intellect from the emotions. And think about it this way. The intellect, worldwide, I've spoken in Thailand and Korea and all these other places. It's so cool. And get to go to West Africa, like you guys help out in West Africa. And Haiti, like you guys help out there. Which, by the way, makes you like one of the coolest churches on the planet. Do you know that? I mean, the things you do for people. Most churches actually are full of people who are on fellow skeptics. So you do what? Well, you can look it up, but I can tell you. An skeptic is a person who tries to gain wisdom by staring at his own navel. I didn't make that up. That's a real word. Some of you are Googling it even as we speak. But so many churches are like that. They look only at themselves and what they want. What a wonderful thing that's a church like this who looks to taking care of other people. And it was so cool. The first time I met Darren, we met at Chili's just right over there. I expected a pastor to come in. Instead, it was Darren. <laughs> he had a three-day growth, wearing sandals, disheveled clothes. I instantly liked this guy. And this is the second visit we've made to your church. The further time I didn't speak, Alice and I sat in the back. We just wanted to see what you were like. And we came to realize this is a church where it's okay not to be okay. And that makes you a cool church right there. So I'm, I'm happy for you and happy that he was gracious enough to invite me to speak. And now that he's downstairs doing that class, I'm taking over. <laughs> so the mind, that's the intellect, the part of us that thinks in, in the worldwide, they picture it here because that's the part that hurts when you think too much. And then there's the emotions. Now, interestingly, in America, we tend to picture the emotions as being here in the heart, right? But that's not the way it was done in the Bible. As a matter of fact, find an old King James Version somewhere and read about it, and you read phrases like this about the bowels of compassion. He said the bowels of compassion? The people in the first century viewed the intellect as being here, but they, they viewed the uh, emotions as being here. Now, if you think about it, it really makes sense. When you get scared, what do you feel at first? 
when you get all intense and worrying, what part does it affect first? Right? I mean, it really makes sense. You might be thinking, well, that does make sense. So why don't we Americans picture the emotions as being there? I have a theory. I think because it just looks so bad on a Valentine. <laughs> Your honey, I love you. <laughs> You're saying, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I, didn't they talk about the heart? Yeah. Now, understand it in the Bible, like any other thing, a word's meaning can vary by context. You understand, you have to always look at the context. But most often, most often when the heart is mentioned in the New Testament, it's referring to where the intellect and the emotions come together. So here's my intellect, your emotions, they come together, that's the heart. So it's from your heart that your mouth speaks. God looks at the heart, not just what you think, but what you feel. And so now we've got four things. We've got the body, we've got the mind, we've got the heart, and the soul or spirit, if you will. And so several years ago, when I was uh, being called on to teach a lot of counselors and therapists about various things about relationships and love, I came up with an acronym to help explain that. And it came up with the acronym, acronym PIES, P-I-E-S. Just stay with me. The P stands for physical. Everybody with me on that? P is physical. I is intellectual. E, emotional. And S, spiritual. So physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. With it, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. Or if you wanted to say it, body, mind, heart, and soul. You say, why didn't you say it that way? Because it doesn't spell anything. <laughs> And I like pie. <laughs> you say, well, what's your point here? The point is that if I'm going to give love, I give it through those four acronyms, or those four letters of the acronym. If I'm going to receive love, it's the same way. You say, what do you mean? Just seeing a person physically does not necessarily tell you anything about that person. Would you agree? And in our culture, we concentrate on it. What I, an adjunct faculty at Lipscomb University in the psychology department. Uh, my PhD work is in the social sciences, specifically in the area of sexology. Don't panic, I'm not gonna freak everybody out. <laughs> I am a Christian sexologist. Not a sex therapist, not a sex counselor, but a sexologist. I study sex, I teach about sex. You probably have never met a Christian sexologist. You probably never met a sexologist, period. Being a Christian sexologist is what gets me invited to come to shows like the Today Show and Good Morning America. They're just fascinated that Christians have sex. <laughs> I tell them it's where the little Christians come from. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I don't know what I'm saying either, okay? <laughs> There have been times when I thought, he didn't just say that, did he? P-I-E-S, that's the way I want to love, that's the way I want to be loved. It's, it's physical, and, and physical is what we typically look at. And so, as I was about to say, in my class every semester where I teach human sexuality at Lipscomb, I ask the girls in the class, how many of you young ladies, and these are juniors and seniors, so 21, 22, that age, how many of you young ladies ever look at other women, compare yourselves, and come out second best. What percentage of the hands do you think go up? 100%. Because we live in a culture that's so focused on physical. Now, physical is important in the sense that this is part of my identity. It's part of who I, and what I am. But you've seen people that you thought were physically beautiful, and once you got to know them, you didn't think they were very pretty at all. Have I, 
Alice and I were in this very slow-moving buffet one time, and this couple got in line right behind us, and they were both gorgeous. I mean, she was gorgeous, he was gorgeous. I instantly did not like them. <laughs> Just thought how unfair it was. And as we moved through this very slow line, we got to listen to them talk to each other for like five minutes. These beautiful, beautiful people together combined had the IQ of a carrot. I thought, nice houses, but nobody's living in them. <laughs> so intellectual, and we start usually with attraction. Where does it start? Attraction has to do with the pies, just like love has to do with the pies. And so there's physical, but intellectual basically says we can communicate with each other. We can understand each other. It's why more than 80% of people in America will marry somebody of the same ethnicity, somebody within five years of their age, somebody of a similar religion, Understand that Baptists and Methodists would be called similar religion as opposed to a Catholic and a Jew. You follow that? And somebody of a very similar socioeconomic background, educational level, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if you are married to somebody and that doesn't apply to you, that's fine. Up to 20% of people don't. You say, well, why do more than 80% do? The theory behind that is we want to have enough in common we can understand each other. We can actually communicate with each other. Whereas if you have heard it, birds of a feather... I'm sorry, what time do y'all normally get up? <laughs> Birds of a feather fly together. Except when it comes to personalities, people tend to marry somebody with a different personality. But you've heard that too. Opposites attract, right? So you look at this and go, mm, okay, so this intellectual attraction is that we've got to be able to communicate. And, and if we're going to go deeper in love, we still have to be able to communicate. Our minds have to be able to understand each other. When it talks about us as Christians, for example, and our love for God, it says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So there's this intellectual. But there's also the emotional. And, and what attracts us to another person and keeps us wanting to be with another person is when that person does things, and that includes what they say, but when a person does things that evoke emotions within me that I enjoy feeling. And if somebody's doing things, you know, the way they act, the way they talk, etc., when they're doing things that evoke emotions within me that I enjoy feeling, I want to be closer to them. But it also makes me care more about them and if that's reciprocal, and so you understand, and by the way, we, the workshop that Darren mentioned we do for marriages in crisis, I think he mentioned it, I know he did last service. We do one, we do two a month right here in Middle Tennessee. People come from not just all around America, they come from all around the world. And we only, we'll only accept 25 couples at a time into it. There's actually one going on today. It started Friday and it went yesterday and it's going on today. And these couples come in who are all in this intense marital crisis. People typically don't come to us unless they think we're the last thing that they can try. They'll often tell us, this is our last hope. If this doesn't work, many times they'll come to us saying, our counselors told us we have no hope and that we should divorce. Then they come see us. By the grace of God, three out of four of those couples turn it around and save their marriages. Amen. Now, you understand that's a God thing, right? Even though we don't preach at them. A lot of them who come aren't Christians. We do not preach at them. But you understand that God still works, right? One of my psychiatrist friends once said, I know this is of God. I said, really, how? And he said, because Joe, you're, you're just not that smart. <laughs> I agree. I'm not. But every couple that shows up in that workshop have devolved 
particularly in that area. You used to do things that evoked emotions within me that I enjoyed feeling. Over time, that devolved to neutral, and then finally devolved into that the things you do evoke emotions within me that I do not enjoy feeling, and therefore I want to push away from you. Spiritual, in this sense now, is not necessarily talking about religion, although I'm, I'm a Christian unabashedly, but it's not talking necessarily about religion. Here, it talks about beliefs and values. Beliefs are those things that you hold to be true. Values are how you expect people to behave based on what you believe to be true. Quick illustration with American culture. If your belief system is that marriage should be between a man and a woman, your value system is against same-gender marriage. If your belief system is that marriage should be between any two people who love each other, then your value system would be pro-same-gender marriage. You understand it's what you believe that determines how you think people should act. Are you following that principle? Often we argue over here when what we should be doing is trying to understand each other over here. Let's see if we can understand the beliefs. We tend to be attracted toward people that we believe or perceive, toward people we perceive as having a belief in value system similar to ours, or that we perceive as having a belief in value system superior to ours based on ours. Now, there's a caveat to that, but I'm flying at 36,000 feet. I can't give you all the details. I'm just saying that what originally pulls people together is some combination of the pies. And if they're going to develop love and really be in love, it's going to be a continuation of the pies. Now, let's go a little deeper into that, just in one area. From the time we were young, we learned that other people want us to think like they want us to think, feel like they want us to feel, act like they want us to act. Anybody discovered that? And that if you do not do those things, then they tend to reject you. And so from the time we were very young, what we learned how to do is build this wall in front of us, hide the real self behind the wall, and paint a picture on that side that gets us accepted. I'll pretend to be whatever you want me to be, act like you want me to act, do what you want me to do, feel like you want me to feel. I'll pretend. And then when people accept us, it's a hollow feeling for us. Because it's like, but you don't even know who I really am. And if they say, I like you, what we feel inside is, no, you don't. You like what you want me to be. And we all crave, we crave the ability to become transparent and show who we really are, and we want somebody to love us like that. Can you love me if you see who I really am? Now, part of the fear about that is that there are days when I don't like me behind the wall. Am I the only one here like that? Sometimes behind the wall, I don't like me. There are days behind the wall when sometimes I wonder if I even love me. Anybody else like that? Hmm. Because I know I'm screwed up. You do realize everybody on the planet is screwed up, right? <laughs> even your mama is screwed up. My mama's not, but your mama is screwed up. <laughs> Actually, my mama is screwed up. So... Everybody's imperfect. You understand the only person, the only person who ever lived a perfect life did so because he didn't get married. <laughs> Bet you never heard that in Sunday school. <laughs> you understand that's a joke. It's not theology. Huh? And so part of the reason I'm afraid to show you who I am is because I know I'm flawed. I know I'm screwed up. 
So how do I reveal my true self? Well, I've got to take some kind of a brick off that wall and hand it to you. Because if I take it off, I'm not putting it in a pile. I'm handing it to you because I have just made myself vulnerable by becoming transparent, which means that you now have the ability to hurt me. Now, you understand that in life, sometimes we just hurt each other anyway. I mean, right? Sometimes we just do stupid stuff. Somebody, amen. The first amen I got. All right. Sometimes we just do stupid stuff. Hey, I took my hearing aids out. What are y'all saying? <laughs> Was it mostly on my side? Okay, we'll keep going then. We are all screwed up. We know that. And, and, but I want somebody to see the real me and love me anyway. And so if I hand you a brick, I become transparent, at least to that degree. Now, if you cherish and protect that brick, I'm going to tell you more about me. You say, how rapidly? It depends on personality. It depends on experience. How badly have you been hurt before? Some will wait five minutes. Some will wait five weeks. Some will wait five months. But what I'm going to do is to see if you really do protect and cherish that, if you're not going to use that against me. No, not just you, but you also don't make a copy and give it to somebody else. Oh, and then make their copy and give it to somebody else. And ten down the row, somebody hits me with it. It's got so much corruption in the copies that most of it's not even true but that little kernel of truth in it and I realize you're the only person I ever told that when that person hits me with a brick I react negatively so what do you think I'm going to do if I become transparent to you and you hurt me with that brick what do you think I might do next I, I really did take my hearing aids out <clears throat> you say why because it makes me hold the microphone closer, and they were mad at me back there that I didn't, so okay. So I can't hear what you're saying, so I just hope that you're smart enough to know the answer, and that's this. If you hurt me with a brick, I'll put another brick up, but not just one. I'll put more bricks up, and if you keep hurting me, if I can't be transparent and open and vulnerable to you, I can finally get that brick so, that wall so high and so thick I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I don't care if you die. You think people do that? I got a bunch of couples just up the road a piece. They walked in a room on Friday just like that. You say, is it possible to help them? Mm-hmm. You mean you really can change that? Mm-hmm. But it's much more complicated than I can explain here. I'm just telling you it can happen. It can be Done. Now, some of you are thinking, you started with the scripture. Is this stuff you're into now biblical? It really is. <sighs> Think about the people who were attracted to Jesus and hung out with him. For the most part, I'm not talking about the ones he picked to be the apostles, but for the most part, the people that were attracted to Jesus were the social outcast. Right? Such as prostitutes. Well, why were they attracted to him? Was he pro-prostitution? Not as far as I can tell. <laughs> so why were they attracted to him? Because he could see behind the wall. As a matter of fact, he may have been the only man in some of those women's lives that ever looked past the body. Caring about what was inside. And probably was the only man in their world that treated them with respect and dignity. And they flocked to him. 
Why? I want somebody to accept me as I am. I want somebody who can love me as I am. Romans 5, 8, I believe it is, it says that while we were yet sinners, God loved us and Christ died for us. I didn't have to be or become anything for God to love me. Are you understanding this point? Why then am I attracted to him because of that? And so when Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. There are many meanings to that, actually, theologically, but part of that is, if you love like I love, people will be attracted to you. Because people want somebody who can accept them as they are. Now, if you're thinking, well, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, wait, back up. Then they can do anything? No, no, no. I am a recovering alcoholic. My wife, Alice, accepts that I'm a recovering alcoholic. But she would not accept me coming home drunk on Friday night. So accepting who a person is doesn't always mean accepting what a person does. Can you see the difference in that? Oh, by the way, the fact that I know she accepts me as an alcoholic makes it easier for me not to drink. The great philosopher slash psychologist Carl Rogers has been dead many years now. This is the way he said it. When I accept myself as I am, I change. When I accept others as they are, they change. Let me show you why that's true. First of all, God demonstrates it. Secondly, you understand that my, my, my PhD is I am not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I have no training in that at all. I'm a researcher and a teacher. That's what I do. A guy called our nonprofit a few years ago and said, my wife and I need one hour of your time. And I replied, you don't understand. I am not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. You know, I'm a teacher. He said, we will make a $10,000 donation to your nonprofit for one hour of your time. I said, when y'all coming? So I'm spending an hour with this couple. Now, it's actually important to this story to understand he's a physician. And she, by any BMI scale, by the BMI scale, would be considered obese. Not just overweight, but obese. Are you following? Now, he, the physician, says, if that were for some medical reason, it wouldn't bother me. But because I know it's not, and I know she could do something about this, I feel disrespected. And I need her to lose weight to show respect for me. Now, whether you agree with him or not, can you see his point? To which she replied, I will not lose weight to make you love me. Because if I have to meet that criteria, then it'll be another. And then another. And I'll always be trying to earn your love by meeting some criteria you said I refuse. I'm not losing a pound until you love me as I am. Whether you agree with her or not, can you see her side? This goes on for like a half hour until finally I said, pardon me, I'll be right back. I gotta run and cash this check. <laughs> because I knew what was coming. What do you think happened? They went on to divorce. But you see, they didn't, either of them, practice love. Well, I'm not trying to beat them up. I'm not even trying to say bad things about them. I'm just saying the way I want to be loved is for somebody to see me as I am, even though I know I am screwed up. And that there are days when I don't like me and days when I wonder if I love me. Can you love me anyway? 
And if I take down this many bricks and you say, I love you, I believe it that much, and I say, well, worry about it this much. And if I can take down this many bricks and you say, I love you, I believe it that much, and I say, well, worry about it this much. By the way, while this applies to husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends, if you're thinking about, you know, working to, to engagement and marriage, that kind of thing, it's also applicable to parents and children. Can you see that same principle? Can you accept me physically? Don't try to make me meet some physical criteria to feel loved by you, which unfortunately some parents do. Intellectual criteria. Don't make me have to meet some criteria where if I make less than an A, I'm no good anymore. You have to accept me as I am. Emotionally, can you love me no matter what I want, to, no matter what I feel? Can you love me anyway? You, you follow this whole process, right? So our oldest grandson, uh, his name is Jacob. He actually plays on the golf team over here at Independence. When he was like five, I said to him one day, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, the fry cook at Wendy's. <laughs> and because I understand this principle, I didn't go, no, son. By the way, being the fry cook at Wendy's is an honorable profession. Do you hear me? It's honorable. But I didn't go... <laughs> You know, but you could do so much better because when you finish high school, you need to go to college and then you do this and do this. Maybe a doctor, probably a neurosurgeon. <sighs> he wanted to be accepted for who he was. And I said, if you grow up and become the fry cook at Wendy's, I'll bet you'll be the best fry cook Wendy's ever had. And I'll eat a lot of Wendy's. <laughs> Actually, I should have said a lot more Wendy's. <laughs> Now he's doing pretty good with golf, and he says, I want to be a professional golfer. I like that one better, only because he can take care of me in my old age if he makes that one work, right? But he may wind up being a chef. I don't know. All I know is he wanted to be loved for who he is, not some criteria that granddad set, or mom, or dad, or anybody else. Can't you just love me to be me? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. If I come to church every Sunday, if I memorize this many scriptures, you know why those things aren't in that song? Because whoever wrote it understood, Jesus loves me, this I know. He loves me physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and he knows I'm screwed up. Doesn't have any doubt about it. The other day a man said, you think God ever thinks I'm an idiot? And I said, he'd have to. <laughs> but here's the key. Be his idiot. Then it all works out. Now you might be sitting here thinking, well, my wife or my husband and I have that kind of love. Great. Hang on to it. Deepen it more. Physically relate to each other. You understand that even with children, physical is important because they need to be able to be touched. I'm not talking about in some bad way. You know what I'm saying? The hugs, the, the kisses, the whatever. We need that. We need the physical touch all the way through. And so that applies to children just like to our spouses. And the intellectual, the kids need that too. Like, talk to me. Let me argue with you. That's actually part of the process. You tell me what you think and believe, and then I'll tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> That's actually important. I mean, it really is, so that they can grow and develop intellectually, emotionally. Do the things that evoke emotions within me that I like, not those other things that push me from you. 
spiritually the whole night. Are you following? It applies to every relationship that matters. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, have it with my spouse, great. Keep doing it. Make it better. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't have this with my spouse, that can change. I can't give you all the details, but it can change. If you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, I'm a single person, and I don't know if anybody's ever loved me like that. They can. Or if you're saying, I'm a kid, and I don't think my parents love me like that. Well, I know that hurts. You say, can I make somebody love me like that? No. And if you try, it'll backfire. Then what do I do? If you want to get it, give it. I'm going to love people physically. I'm, not talk- I'm talking about holy now, you follow? I'm going to love people physically. If it were just people who are married here, I'd actually explain a little bit about why God made sex such an important part of marriage. But, and I actually do teach that to teenagers, but parents freak out if they don't know what's coming. So I'll just say now, physically, physically is important. And intellectually, and I need to accept other people and, and communicate and interact with them. And emotionally, if I want to be loved, then I need to be doing things that evoke emotions within that person that they enjoy feeling. And when I see that what I'm doing, including what I'm saying, that what I'm doing is evoking emotions that push them away from me, I should stop that. Well, you understand we can go through this for days and explain more of the details. If your marriage is in trouble or you know somebody whose marriage is in trouble, go to our website. It's marriagehelper.com, marriagehelper.com. There's a lot of free resources on there. If, if you're listening to me thinking, the more that man talks, the sleepier I get. Then on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m., go to marriageradio.com. I do an hour-long program where I'll talk about something, most of the time about problems, but I'll talk about something about love, and then I'll take callers, and they call in. You say, well, what was the sleepy comment? One of our employees just got an email yesterday saying, I can't sleep until I turn on Joe's podcast. (laughs) They were trying to be complimentary, like he puts me to... Peace. Instead, I came across as, you know, we have all kinds of resources and we're happy to help you. And if you decide to come to one of our three-day workshops because your marriage is in trouble, I can't promise you a miracle because I'm not in the business of giving miracles. But I'm telling you, we see them a lot. And I've even invited Darren and his beautiful bride to come go through the weekend so just to see what we do to be there. Because no matter how bad it is, If you start giving love this way, it will come back somehow, some way. Hopefully with the person that you really want to love you, but you can't make them, you give it and hope for the reciprocity. Now, let me give one caveat, just one caveat to that. If you love people like that, people, sometimes they're going to drain you. Not talking about your spouse and children now. I'm talking about just people because there are so many people that have nobody in their world that does this for them. So you're trying to tell me not to do that to people? No. I'm trying to tell you that when you do, they're going to come from everywhere. When Jesus is lifted up, he draws people to them, and you'll have to do like he did sometimes where you just had to get away from everybody. He did it occasionally. 
He, not all the prayers of Jesus are recorded. I imagine some of them are like this. Have you seen these people? <laughs> but it's still the right thing to do. By the way, if all Christians loved like that, people wouldn't be ridiculing us. People would be seeking us. Even when you don't like what they do, to accept them, even if you don't accept their behaviors. Are you hearing this? <sighs> Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for everything you do for us. Thank you that you love us, having seen us behind the wall. God, give us the ability to love ourselves in that godly way that you talked about as the second greatest commandment so we can love our fellow man, not in some way that's selfish and focused just on me. God, for every husband and every wife in this church, I pray, give them the wisdom to learn how to love body, mind, heart, and soul. For every parent, for every child in their relationship, body, mind, heart, and soul. And Father, for all those people out there who don't have this at all, that we can love them, body, mind, heart, and soul. And for the single folks in this church, that they can learn to love that way if they don't already. And that whoever you bring into their life will love them that way too. We know that none of us will ever be perfect at a father. But most of us can be a lot better than we're doing it now. Give us the wisdom. Give us the courage. Give us the strength. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you thank Joe with a round of applause?